Hello and welcome to the Law Life Balance podcast with me, your host, Caitlin McPhee. The Law Life Balance podcast is here to help drive much needed change in the legal industry. We all know that lawyer well-being is at an all-time low and mental well-being is a particular concern. Sadly, one in 10 lawyers under 30 globally are experiencing thoughts of suicide and that is just not okay. But all is not lost. There are so many incredible people out there fighting to make the legal industry a happier and more sustainable place to work. And it is my mission to track them down and interrogate them on this podcast. So in season one, I'm speaking to thought leaders in the legal mental wellbeing space about what we can do to make lawyers' lives that little bit, or even a lot, better. The bit of a loud. I mean, we haven't got time to debate it, but there is hours to, of discussion there. But I think it can be, uh, there is not an easy answer, don't get me wrong. And as a litigator, you know, when you get things thrown at you that you weren't expecting, it's super complicated. But uh, as someone I was speaking to outside of the industry, when I explained how we work, which is with literally a little clock in the corner of your screen, ticking away, uh, in theory, representing your value, they, they, they honestly were horror struck. Uh, they work in the mental health industry said, I'm not surprised people in your industry struggle. You literally have a clock in the corner of your screen trying to show your value. So there isn't an easy answer, um, but it, it needs rethinking. Intelligent conversation. So let, and let me qualify that. I think we are in such a polarised society. And maybe I don't mean intelligent conversation. I mean um, conversation with open minds, which is maybe how I sort of would, would call an intelligent conversation, whereby you are able to listen to what other people say and take their arguments on board without having this massive dichotomy of I'm right, you're wrong. And that's, that's what I think that needs to be more. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to episode 13 of the Law Life Balance podcast. I am so excited about this episode because it's with a good friend of mine, Mr. Oliver Haddock. Ollie is a litigator at Radcliffe's Labressa law firm in London. He's also the chair and founder of the London Young Professionals Network and the chair of the London Young Lawyers Group. Now, in this episode, Ollie and I obviously discuss lots of important things about being a young professional and a young lawyer at the moment. We talk about how things were during the pandemic and how people are feeling now, as well as share a little bit about both of our experiences. But my favourite bit about this episode has to be the rapid fire questions at the end. Now, I hope some of you have got to that stage of all of my previous episodes, but if you haven't, I always ask guests a series of rapid fire questions at the end of the episode, which are designed to be that little bit more personal. And Ollie's answers were just that. He shares some things that I didn't know about him. And there's some really powerful insights in there for people of any age. So I would highly encourage that you listen to the end because you're sure to gain something very powerful from this episode. So with a huge thanks to Ollie for his vulnerability in sharing, let's dive in. Ollie, thank you so much for finally joining me on this podcast. I've only been trying to get you on for like months. How, how's everything going? Really well, thanks. Yeah, really well. Sorry, I take a lot of the blame for that. Um, you know what diaries are like. I do, I do indeed. So I'm hoping that a few people will know who you are, uh, but I think it would still be useful for everyone to get a bit of an introduction. So can you maybe start just by telling me a little bit about you, where you came from, what your background is? Sure, yeah. So we'll start from the start, shall we? So um, a fairly traditional route. So I went to Birmingham and did um, international relations and then converted in London, did the LPC, and I, I managed to get my, I remember the call, my training contract offer as I was walking through the door of BPP for the like intro day of LPC. Mm. Um, I think most people probably remember that call because it's such a pivotal moment um, and you've worked so hard to get there. So, so yeah, so I then had one year to kill, which I did um, at UBS in their wealth management division, a sort of parallel across lots of different arms of, of their wealth management division, which was really interesting. Um, it was great. Apparently, I can't speak more highly of because when I mm. hit ground on my training contract, I just kind of knew how an office worked and, you know, all those silly little email things and how to do, work a document together. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I know people have anxieties about having to go for too long without a training contract, mm. but see it as good experience. Yeah. Um, 
So that, that was very, and then I trained at a firm in the city, a mid-sized firm in the city called Radcliffe's Labrassa, uh, where I qualified. I'm now a, what's three years PQE disputes lawyer. Amazing. Yeah, I, I think that's such an important point about the paralegal stuff. I I did a bit of a paralegal stint before my training contract, but also had other office jobs. And it's ridiculous, but you don't think about things like using the printer and like what headed paper is and how to send a letter, like all of those things that are typical first day trainee tasks. If you've done them before, it just makes your life so much easier. Exactly. And when you hit that training contract, because the phrase that people always tell you is it's a two year interview. right? Yeah. And that's how you kind of feel that you're constantly being watched or rested. And what you don't want is to spend the first three months working out all those things. Mm-hmm. So it, it really does help. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Okay, so that that's like you and law. And then the other thing that you do and spend a lot of your time on outside of everything else, and this is, must be why your diary is so busy, is so you run the London Young Professionals Network and the London Young Lawyers Group. So can you tell me a little bit about why you set those up and what the purpose was of doing that? Yeah, so again, it's sort of in a narrative. Um, I was a trainee. A couple of the other sort of juniors at the firm dragged me along to this event and they said, look, the events, there's loads of events you'll get invitations to. The ones you want to go to are the London Young Lawyers Group. They're wicked. They're really laid back. So I went along and I think it was a, a seminar at Hardwick Chamber and who just changed their name by the way I should we shouldn't call them Hardwicks anymore but that's a story for another day mm-hmm. um, I went along and as I do was the last person there chatting away to someone who was absolutely charming and lovely and her name was Nicola and by the end of the evening I said god this was great I'd love to get involved with this organization and she said well that's lucky because I'm the chair um, <laughs> and so the rest is history so I was on that on that sort of committee for two or three years uh, yeah call it two years and then I think I've been chair for the last year and a half um, they run so for those that don't know the OLG is is law society affiliated you'll recognize probably across the country the sort of Leeds JLD branch the Manchester JLD branch there's lots of branches we are one of the London branches it's a bit complicated in London because there are a few mm-hmm. of us and we don't have that name but we are part of that sort of group um, so yeah, we run lots of networking events, training events, all that sort of stuff. Um, and when I qualified, I just decided that my networking needed to be more commercial. So mm. as much as I loved and as, as, as many brilliant things as the LYRG does, um, I needed for my own career to be networking with other professions. And there were all these other organisations like the LYRG operating in London, but not talking to each other. Mm. And it just seemed like madness. And so I just contacted each of them and it was like a real penny drops moment. I just sort of said, look guys, this is crazy. Should we just get in a room together every so often, tell each other what we're up to, see if we can collaborate on stuff um, and help our members, you know, build, build their networks. And every one of them just went, huh? Yeah. Why not? Why are we not doing this? Um, and so it's gone really well. So over the last, I think two or three years since that's been set up, we're now up to nine member organizations. Um, I won't reel them all off, but as well as the LYLG, there's management consultants, there's the RSCS, there's the ICAW, the uh, accountants. So some big name uh, national industry bodies and it's going really well. And we've got our next event in October, which will be a full cross industry event and more, more details will come out of due course. Amazing. Yeah. So gutted. I can't come to that. Great shame. You have to do another one, especially for me, please. Yes. Well, I should say, you know, you're right. The the LYLG one, that's, that's even more amazing. So this shows how much people or how ready people are to get out networking again. That tickets went on sale for that Mm. at like 4pm and were sold out by seven, I think. People are dead keen to get out networking again. Yeah, for sure. It's so valuable, right? Like, I think something that I've learned is something that you've learned that the power of your network is just unbelievable. You can't, you can't underestimate how important it is to have a strong and supportive network, especially in moments like, you know, the pandemic, a crisis. I think it's just so, it's so nice to know that you've got people out there who have your back. 100%. And this is probably a topic for a whole other podcast, but people misunderstand networking. Mm. Um, you know, we started by networking and now I yeah. we've helped and supported each other through our careers. Like networking doesn't have to be stuffy boardrooms with corporate business cards. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. And, and I think, as you say, it, it, providing a support network is just as important as coming away with, you know, a, a, an instruction or a new deal. Or whatever. 
Absolutely. And like also just learning from people, right? Because especially with the power of social media, following people means that you keep up to date with their views on things and what they're up to. And sometimes there might just be this amazing collaboration opportunity out there that you didn't, you would never have known of if you didn't have a network and weren't present on social media. So for all it's, you know, for all it can be the devil sometimes. I definitely think if you use it wisely, it's really useful tool. Exactly. Use it wisely and use it in a way that suits you. Yeah. You don't like doing networking in the traditional sense don't do that go for coffees with one-on-one you know things like that so yeah yeah agreed so obviously you therefore work very closely with young professionals um not just lawyers but lots of young professionals in general and albeit this is a podcast about law I think you know it would be interesting to to get your thoughts on this across young professionals in general but what's your experience been either from your own experience or from being in contact with so many young professionals of what it's been like over the last few years and how are, how are young professionals feeling generally? First of all, really tough. And I can speak from my own experience. It, it was, there were some real lows um, starting off with our industry. I think more than any other, I've, I've not worked in many others, but like our industry does have specific pressures and a lot of them for juniors are based around supervision. And I know, I think this topic has been sort of raised quite broadly and that's very important. And I think sort of JLD have done something on it and we need to keep speaking about it because if we're gonna change the way we work, if we're gonna be working more remotely, then we do need to make sure we have systems in place for supervision because even I at three years PQ, I can start running my own files to some extent. So I don't feel that pressure as much, but even I was getting anxious about, ah, do I, you know, being able to poke your head into a partner's room and just ask a quick, silly question is one mm-hmm. thing. Picking up the phone and calling their mobile phone when you know they're at home is a completely different, um, you know, kettle of fish. And, and that can be terrifying, incredibly mm-hmm. daunting to people. You know, I know the partners pretty well now. And even now I'm like, oh, do I really want to make them pick up the phone to ask this? Yeah. So that, that, is, that is a huge issue and one that I don't think there is a strict or uniform answer to but every firm really, really needs to think about because that's going to be a huge difficulty. Yeah, definitely. That's something I've heard said by a lot of people. The fact that, you know, on the one hand, I think it's been really great, especially for people's well-being, to have an extra element of flexibility and a bit more autonomy in their working day. But that definitely hasn't come without its challenges. And as you say, from a from a lawyer's perspective, you know, it's, it's stressful thinking that you might be responsible for making a decision which could have a really massively negative impact if you get it wrong. And so you want to check that. And also until you're qualified, you're not the person who can make decisions on anything. So what that means is you've got to go to somebody and ask and get sign off. And as you've just said, if you feel like you're having to pester people and disturb people to do that because you don't know what they're up to, that's really difficult. So what do you think you would say are some of the biggest challenges facing the legal industry at the moment, and particularly when it comes to juniors and young lawyers? Um, I think that, that that is probably the biggest, but that probably feeds into one or two others. Um, I think when we try and come to a decision about how we do come back to the office, we need to think about the, the decision makers are inevitably going to be those who are more senior who, and I'm just using broad brush examples here, they are probably those who live in the countryside and are very happy staying out there and want to come into the office less. Um, Whereas if you are a trainee and you want to be not just get the supervision, but to build relationships because Mm. you have an NQ job, Mm-hmm. Because like we just said, your training contract uh, is a, t- a two-year interview. Um, building relationships, letting people know that you're a reliable character, someone that's willing to go the extra mile. If people can't see that, it's very difficult for them to know that you aren't willing to do all those sorts of things. And even if people are noticing in your mind, you're not going to see that they're noticing because you're not there with them. So yeah. that's going to be, those two, I think are going to be real challenges. Yeah, massively. And what do you think about this remote working model more generally? So obviously, you know, we've had to work from home. I think if you asked the legal industry last March whether it was possible for everyone to work from home, it would have been a strong no. 
um, it's been proven that it is, but that definitely hasn't come without some additional layers of challenges we've just kind of discussed. But what do you think is the potential future now going back to the office with more flexible structures? What are some of the things that law firms need to be thinking about? Um, I actually saw a really, really good quote, literally as I was signing on to this call from someone at Alan Lovery, their, their grad recruitment head. It was something along the lines of, and this won't be perfect, but asking people to go back to the office full time would be like asking you to go back to driving a horse and carriage. Um, when mm. we, uh, because it's not just going back. We've learned something new. We've changed our ways. We've learned that we can work really well with these things and they add lots of benefits. And I think any any firm that were to ask people to go back full time would struggle. I think they'd lose certainly juniors um, because I think people will look at it and say, but I don't need to do that. But, you know, mm -hmm. I don't need to be commuting every day. I don't need the stresses of the travel and the rest of it. Um, and, you know, we just said there's going to be a divide perhaps between generations, but I think there has to be some element of flexibility. I don't see, again, that there's going to be a single answer for every firm, every organisation. It will depend on your size. It will depend on, um, you know, your pyramid, how, how many juniors, how many seniors you have, all that sort of stuff. But there, there needs to be some element of flexibility. Yeah. But also, one thing, and this maybe leads into a wider conversation, is that I, I genuinely think that people's priorities have changed. Mm. People have been at home for a year and a half now, and... I really do think see people putting more value on work-life balance and this will take a long time and it's a much broader conversation um, about the stresses and where they come from. Um, but certainly the noises that I'm hearing are that there has been a bit of a change in priorities amongst, um, certainly amongst juniors, but probably at all levels. Mm. Speaking from your experience, how's it been for you working remotely? I I've actually really enjoyed it. Um, as I say, there have been certain anxieties that I've had, which I can only imagine would have been amplified as a junior. Mm. Um, but I, as, as you say, when I left the office last March, and we all thought we'd be back in two weeks, I, I sort of jokingly thought, well, I can't work. I'm a junior litigator. I need 10 bundles every day. But rubbish. You get used to it. You change, you adapt. And it's been absolutely fine for me. Mm. And that's great to hear. I think it's really interesting, isn't it? Because everyone's obviously had a very different experience. And I think... It, there's so many factors that can have an impact, whether you're, you know, living in a nice big house with loads of space in an office or you're working around the dining room table with your four flatmates in a pokey flat with no garden. Um, that experience is obviously going to be very, very different. But you're right. The majority of lawyers, I think it was the Law Society earlier this year did a survey and 65% of lawyers want a blended approach to going back to work. Um, and I think, you know, that that figure is just the people that want blended. There's then some who want to stay fully remote and a much smaller percentage that want to go back to work full time. And so there's no doubt about it. A blended approach is what we will be doing going forwards. But then I think um, that brings with it. Drill down into those figures because you can bet your bottom dollar that um, fewer partners were filling in or, or more senior were filling in that survey. Mm. So actually, if you've got a better cross section, I bet you'd see a much higher figure of people who'd want a blended approach. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably right. It would be interesting. Um, something else I thought was really interesting was that generally speaking, working remotely during the pandemic increased stress levels for people. So they increased to 45% of lawyers, but one in five lawyers experienced less stress as a result of working from home. And so that does go to show that there is a lot to be gained from it. And what I'd be interested to know is what will be the impact when we're no longer living in the middle of a pandemic because I'll, I would bet my bottom dollar that a lot of that stress increase was also related to what was going on outside but that said I, I know that what was going on outside health-wise and in the, in the yeah things I think certainly I felt the pressure on my job because I, I was thinking, if I don't build these hours, every, you know, everyone was getting followed. The whole country mm. was getting followed. And in your head, you're thinking, do, am I going to have a job here? Am I going to pay my rent? You know, suddenly this very secure living that you had, you're seeing people in your own industry getting furloughed and laid off. And look, yeah, yes, there was that support uh, net of furlough, but that, it, it still, it, that definitely played on, on my nerves. Mm, definitely. And and I know that that has been true for a lot of people who have actually said that they work more hours working from home. 
And that's, you know, a lot of the pressures of technology, not being able to switch off from your laptop in a pandemic, not really having an excuse to be doing anything else. So may as well just be working. And- I, um, I really struggle. So that, as I said, I, I did have my struggles at, at a certain period and it got to a stage where I would, my kitchen was my office and there was sort of bedroom and on the other side bathroom that was my little flat right and so to walk from one to the other I walked through my office so I'd be like popping to the loo in the middle of the night and walking past my office Mm. and feeling anxious about like the things that I had to do or you know the things that I need the emails I hadn't sent that day um and so when the center of your flat is your kitchen table but also your office it's terrifying because every time you look at it you can associate that with uh uh-oh need to send this email and you just can't switch off. Mm, Definitely. It's hard to find that separation, isn't it? Which you naturally do find a lot more easily when you're going into the office, leaving, well, not that I ever left my stuff in the office, but if you can, leaving your stuff in the office and going home. Um, But yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question, the whole piece around hours, isn't it? I think, you know, the law is notoriously a long working hours industry, and there's a lot in the news at the moment about investment banks too. And like, what's, what's the solution to that? And what I wanted to ask you was, I know we've kind of spoken about this a bit before. Do you think people really know what they're signing up for when they come into a big law job? Such a good question. I guess I'd, I'd reverse it. How could they? How, how could they? Because you can go and do your VAC scheme or all the rest of it, but the VAC schemers aren't there till 2 a.m. You can, and also, you know, of an evening on a VAC scheme, you're probably taken for drinks or you're going to be on your swanky rooftop in the city. Mm-hmm. That, that ain't how it's going to be the day you start. Um, so as much as I can appreciate that, you know, high achieving graduates who really like the pressure and who want to work hard and achieve um, in a challenging industry, they, they see it as challenging and they want to go for that. I don't know that anyone can fully appreciate what it's like until you've done it. Mm. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, is that true if, for example, someone has watched a friend or a partner or a family member go through it? And also, I mean, I, I know I've spoken to some lawyers who say that they're actively excited about the prospect of working those long hours and being on the exciting deals, getting a call at three in the morning and, you know, closing something up. And there are people who genuinely look forward to that and do see it as a challenge. But would you still maintain that point that they don't really know what they're signing up for? I guess it's a piece around like what is informed consent in that in that situation? Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. And, you know, how often have you really wanted something in life? And when you got it, you didn't really, you know, actually, it wasn't what you wanted. And look, I think the point you made as you were sort of leading into that question was such a good one. There are lots of different types of people out there. There are people who put their career above all else. There are people who just want that challenge, that buzz, and they genuinely do get a buzz from the challenge. And I always think, find it quite funny when people say in that why law question, that you know they'll write something like i just love working in a fast-paced environment mm. of challenging stress it's like how would you know that because mm. you know unless if you've been at uni and you're 22 writing that answer have you been in a really fast-paced stressful challenging environment if you yeah. haven't you've had that experience great but a lot of people haven't um and so as i say i just wonder whether um yeah, I, I don't see how you could really appreciate it and, and appreciate how you react. You can see someone go through a difficult time and you could do the same challenge and love it. Mm. So I, I just don't think you'll ever know how you can react, will react. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I mean, there's a certain part of me that does resonate with that, you know, desire pre ever having really had a proper job to work in a challenging and fast paced environment. And that very much came from, Well, I suppose having had one job, which was very much not challenging and finding it tedious, but then also, you know, I am somebody who who likes to work quickly and it always sounded like an environment that would suit me quite well. But my personal experience was the problem wasn't the pace. The problem wasn't the challenging nature. I actually really loved both of those two bits. The problem was the complete and utter lack of flexibility and autonomy that I had over my own schedule. So, you know, I actually quite enjoy working loads of hours and getting loads of stuff done because it makes me feel really productive. 
but just not when that comes at a cost of so my own happens, happiness. Working, working quickly, working hard, uh, working efficiently, brilliant. To some extent, working pretty long hours, fine. Mm. But when you put all of that together with the pressure, yeah. um, you know, I don't know many industries where if you miss a full stop or if you, you know, make a tiny little error, it can completely change the meaning of a contract and yeah. scupper your case. Or if you send an email with the wrong attachment to the other side or yeah. you know, just the tiniest thing, missing one document in a bundle of 10,000 documents and you disclose something to the other side that, you know, puts a pin in your case yes of course they should do the right thing and all the rest of it but like those pressures are so huge so when you add that to you know the hours the the pressure the, the all the rest of it that's when I think it becomes really difficult and where do you think those pressures come from you know is that because I mean it, it must be both right there's an element of it which is pressure that comes from the industry your boss your team the firm there's also an element of the pressure which comes from what you're putting on yourself because ultimately we're all responsible for ourselves there's nobody who can ever force us to do or not do anything we're also the people that go into the law and especially mm. are usually the sort of type a hyper achievers that have got mm -hmm. you know so so they they do put pressure on themselves as well as there being the external pressure from the actual job yeah so let's just talk a little bit then about so salary <laughs> this is always a really interesting point when it comes to law and banking the solution that seems to be the current thing for solving people who are working in our industries who are not very happy about it is to just pay them more money. What's your view on that? Yeah, really good point. And we're seeing that at the moment, you know, anyone who follows legal treat, the lawyer, any of these guys, you're seeing massive, massive pay hikes for juniors. And when we talk about juniors, yes, I know that the average qualification age now, I think is 30, but you are still talking about people who could be in their 20s and early 30s and they are getting paid extraordinary sums of money and i've heard someone refer to it as the psychological contract so this idea that you kind of feel that if you're being paid that much that you have to always be there you have to always be switched on you have to answer your phone and that is a recipe for disaster and to some extent uh, this is not trying to shame any senior or partner here. To some extent, there, there are examples of more senior figures acting as if that psychological contract exists and expecting that. Um, and, and again, that leads to the same disaster. Mm, yeah, completely. And I think it's it's challenging, isn't it? Because in some respects, there's a generational divide and there are still some individuals, and I'm not going to name names, but we all know who I'm talking about. The BBC's been on over it this week, linked to Goldman Sachs story. Um, some individuals who do believe, well, it was like that in my day. And so it's going to be like that now. And you will just need to get over it, basically. And if you don't want to do it, go get another job. Yeah, so the, I, I, I like telling this story. So my uh, someone in my family, well, actually a great family friend, um, was a lawyer, a barrister, then became a judge, and was in the industry for many, many years, you know, like 20 years ago. And we were discussing mental health in, in junior lawyers. And he was saying, no one, no one had these issues in my day. And I, I, I sniggered um, almost uncontrollably. I said, well, A, they did, just no one talked about it. Mm. But B, to some extent, you didn't have the same, you know, back in the day, no one was working till 2 a.m. No one was taking their, I'd say Blackberry, you know what I mean? No one was taking their emails home with them. Um, no one was on call at 3 a.m. So the pressures were completely different. And I still believe that people were, were still having mental health issues, but just not talking about it because it wasn't the done thing. Completely and utterly. And, you know, I think it's, a, it's amazing to look back, even over my pretty short career in the legal industry so far, and see the change that I've witnessed in terms of people opening up and sharing more stories and, you know, breaking down that stigma. It definitely feels like, you know, firms have come an awful long way in creating environments that are safe for people to speak up in. But it doesn't seem like the pressure has been relieved enough yet for those issues to stop coming up in the first place. And be interested to hear, you know, what would be your blue sky vision for the industry? I've, I've been saying, and I, I speak to 
anyone I can about this, and and perhaps it's oversimplified. But my theory would be this: it's a simple change of the structure whereby kids, and I use that word intentionally to make a point, kids are being paid astronomical figures, right? What if we said, rather than getting paid, I'm not going to mention a number, but you know, this sky high figure, you get paid just a really, really good salary for someone who is in their 20s or 30s. Um, you get a great quality of work, but actually we, XYZ, Magic Circle Firm or whatever, are going to employ a third more people. Mm. And we're going to spread the workload around. And we're going to actually focus on your work-life balance and your mental health. Now, from what I've heard and the, the discussions I've had with juniors across the industry, if one of the big firms did that, and I know some are sort of leaning towards it with certain structures and that sort of thing, but if, if one of the big firms came out and said, look, this is our new approach. If you'd like to take this model, you can. Here is a still very, very good salary that you can earn. And because we are still a big name, you'll get very good work, very good training, but we will actually care about you seeing your children grow up mm. or you know all those other things. Um, I genuinely think there would be a massive drive uh, or, or market for that and including some of the best talent, actually. Mm. It would definitely be an interesting experiment. One potential challenge to that is, do you think that really works for every single type or piece of work that needs to be done in the legal industry because there are some bits of work which I think it would be really hard to share between lots of different people and sometimes you know it is important to hold the pen on a document and work all of the hours on that document in the short time frame to make sure it's right and would you not be opening yourself up to potential increased risk of errors being made and the handing over from person to person like that that structural shift wouldn't be as simple, would it, as let's just employ more people because you'd really have to think about, okay, well, what's the impact of having more people doing this one piece of work? I can, yes, and that's a very good point. And, and look, it wouldn't be completely straightforward. Uh, I still think that if, for, use my line of work as an example, um, you're right, sharing a witness statement could be a recipe for disaster because, which documents have you seen? Which documents have you seen? Actually, I've already referred to that here. Da, 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 all those mm-hmm. that couldn't work. But actually, if you were told over the course of the next week, all your all you had to do, all was on your plate, was that witness statement, mm. and someone else is going to pick up the emails or, or whatever it was. I think there are ways around it. Um, it you know, it would need some thought. But I, I think the bottom line is, if there was more support within your team. And if there was someone who knew the case that could pick up emails at about your level whilst you're on holiday, so you mm. could switch it off, all those sorts of things, um, I think it's workable. And yeah. if there was a really simple answer that required no thought, we'd have got there. But Agreed. You know, yeah, it's going to take some pretty clever thinking, but I, I think that model would work. Agreed. I mean, so I think the, the thing that that gives people, which for me is the key, is flexibility and autonomy. And so it's being able to give people the option, perhaps, of saying, this is something you can do. And we therefore guarantee that you will have all of the time that you need to keep yourself well and healthy and happy and spend time with your family and your friends and not miss weddings and go on holidays, et cetera, et cetera. But if you want to do more, then you can. And that's your choice. And I think that's the bit that's missing at the moment. And that's the bit that I felt was missing for me was, well, but what if I don't want to? do that what if I don't actually want to make a partner and I'm not saying that's necessarily where my head was at through my training contract but I know that that's where some people's heads are at not everybody joins the law in order to make partner at a firm and so is it fair to require everybody to do exactly the same amount and level of work if they're not chasing the same goals at the end of it yeah I think the what that would come back to which is a specific talking point of its own is is the billable hour and the targets mm. so that that's where i think that that question leads which is if you know do you have separate targets for separate career routes not you know within within the industry um and is that a conversation you can sit down with your manager and discuss and um you know i i very good friend of mine in the industry is now doing three days a week um and i think someone gave it a great example and you may have been i think it may have been when we were together of um 
two women who were, I think, going on doing mat cover together um, and, and that sort of stuff. So just being slightly more imaginative and thinking outside the box, I think, mm. can resolve some of those issues. Yeah, totally. It's it's yeah, it's about having just a little bit more flex and a bit more creativity and allowing people to have a bit more say in what works for them. I've always said I don't think there is a one size fits all um solution or kind of I don't know whatever the word would be to any of these particular challenges. Um but I do think that a lot of amazing progress has been made and it's so good that these conversations are taking place. Because it is. to me that's Optimistic. So the argument on that point is not just, um, you know, we clearly both agree that looking after your staff's mental wellness is not only the right thing to do, but probably also still good as a business decision. Mm. Um, but the thing, I, worryingly, the thing that seems to have uh, alerted firms is the brain drain point, because the, the, the um, churn we're seeing in the industry, mm. very talented juniors are just leaving the industry. And I think all you need to do is look at the success of some of these big um, uh, people like Relink. Um, I know a lot of these, so whereby you can work as a consultant on a sort of flexi basis. The success of people like that is is all you need to look at to see how what people want. Mm. Um, and so firms really do need to start thinking about it because, as I say, that their bottom line getting hit is possibly the best thing that can happen to this debate because that's what will make them sit up and listen. Mm, Yeah. And, you know, it's been proven time and time again, that increasing your employees well-being has a net positive effect on your bottom line. Unfortunately, it's, it's tough, isn't it? Especially when you're, you know, a very big organization, with very big clients who rely on you in some of the most stressful time, critical situations that anyone can ever be in take a risk and make a change like I I do really feel for firms who are you know wanting to do something but there's a huge risk attached and like until you've done it you're just not going to know what the outcome's going to be and you're absolutely right that point you made about a lot of the elements of what we do in different fields of law are so time critical there are court deadlines or you know to get something a, a deal over the line there's a strict deadline whatever it is um that brings challenges right if if the deadlines are there and set in stone mm. it's it's difficult to get around it absolutely but then in order for people to be able to thrive and work to their you know absolute best in those very stressful situations really you need to be waking up feeling strong healthy resilient and that's not the case for a lot of people at the moment 100%. particularly coming out of a pandemic so yeah it's it's good to know that these conversations are taking place and it's good to see lots of firms actually doing some really great things. I think some important moves have been made and I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to seeing what happens when firms do kind of, you know, decide to have people return to the office on a more frequent um, and bigger capacity basis and to see what happens and what people say, what changes are made, what the future holds. I think it's, it's an exciting time certainly to be in the industry exactly that we should we should not just you know focus on doom and gloom mm. i think that's absolutely right big players in the industry are making big moves and you know they're fledgling moves at the moment but it will be really interesting to see how they play out and there are good people at these firms you know this idea of this this other the the firm people running firms they're all just nasty people that that isn't the case really really nice people occasionally or quite often actually um are making decisions at the top of these firms and, and i do have a degree of faith in them but uh, it, it's just the law doesn't move quickly yeah yeah totally agree well i think that's a really nice place to wrap up the conversation but if you've got time can you stick around for my rapid fire questions which i ask everybody i can looking forward to it amazing okay ollie work-life balance means Oh, work-life balance means finding your purpose, finding your happiness, finding what, you know, finding the route for you because work-life balance doesn't, you know, if it's on a balance, it's got to be the right balance for you. And so it's finding out you're the tailored route. Yeah, I love that. The reason I've asked this question to everyone is because I think the point I want to make is that work-life balance means something different to everybody. And that's that's literally summed it up. Like it isn't a one size fits all. There is no one definition. It's what works for you. Uh, okay, if you could change one thing about the legal industry, what would it be? Oh, um, God, do I just get one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I would say the bit of a lower. I mean, we haven't got time to debate it, but there is hours to, of discussion there. But I think it can be, uh, there is not an easy answer, don't get me wrong. And as a litigator, you know, when you get things thrown at you that you weren't expecting, it's super complicated. But uh, as someone I was speaking to outside of the industry, when I explained how we work, which is with literally a little clock in the corner of your screen, ticking away, uh, in theory, representing your value, they, they, they honestly were horror struck. Uh, they work in the mental health industry. Said, "I am not surprised people in your industry struggle. You literally have a clock in the corner of your screen trying to show your value. Mm. So there isn't an easy answer, um, but it it needs rethinking." Mm. Yeah, I think a lot of people share that sentiment. Um, what are you reading at the moment? If you're reading anything, interesting. So I have to admit, because I spend my whole day reading as mm-hmm. as a job. I'm more of an audio person. Yeah, great. Um, so I'm, I'm a podcast listener. I, I never leave the house without a podcast. I listen to the newscast, the BBC newscast every day and the New York Times daily every day. So that's where I sort of get my news from. And the Law Life Balance podcast every and week. And also I listen to the Law Life Balance <laughs> podcast every week. Every week. I love it. I listen to them on repeat. Correct answer. Well done. What's one new hobby that you would love to try? Um, do you know what this? I don't know whether I should admit this, but you we have just, I'm very, very fortunate. I've just bought my first home, and there is, I call it a garden. We're in London. There is an outside space. A couple, <laughs> of, a couple of me. And do you know what? I've actually really enjoyed putting a few plants out there and trying to make them look pretty. So nice. yeah, I, I, I don't want to call it gardening because I'm not sure I could really qualify it as gardening, but certainly, um, you know, making the outside space look nice. Cute. Love it. One thing the world needs more of is? I'll well, say that it's not lawyers. <laughs> um, one thing the world needs more of. Um, gosh. Intelligent conversation. Hmm. So let, and let me qualify that. I think we are in such a polarised society. And maybe I don't mean intelligent conversation. I mean um, conversation with open minds which is maybe how I sort of would, would call an intelligent yeah. person, whereby you are able to listen to what other people say and take their arguments on board without having this massive dichotomy of I'm right, you're wrong. Mm. And that's, that's what I think that needs to be more. Yeah, I agree. I love, love that. Um, contrastingly, one thing the world needs less of is... I think I already answered that. You did, lawyers. <laughs> See previous answer. Sorry, everybody. He's nice, really. Okay, money being no object... What's one other career you'd love to pursue? Oh, that is a great question. So I did, as I mentioned right at the start, an international relations degree. And I think there are probably quite a few lawyers out there that, that had these, this view, this opinion when they started their career that I was going to save the world. So I wanted to go and work for NGOs. I wanted to go and work with Palestinian refugees. I wanted to, I did my dissertation on sort of an international law issue I, that's the area so so probably related to law um but but on a international public scale mm, yeah nice okay this might be a difficult one to do off the bat but a quote or a saying that you love is <laughs> um Muhammad Ali mm-hmm. um it's don't quit suffer now and live the rest of your life as a champion um mm. whenever I was revising um whenever I'm going through like a a, you know particular tough time it's like get through this do the hard yards now reap the rewards later yeah important advice I think especially the don't quit bit it's like just just when it's getting hard that's the time that you don't give up I actually made that analogy to a friend the other day who was um just really struggling with something she'd been doing loads of work just trying to get through this problem that she was having and she she called me up and she said I just feel like I've I've done so much work and I can't do any more and I just want to give up. And I said to her, it's kind of like when you're pushing a car to start and you've got to expend all that energy and all that pain just to get the car rolling. And at the point that the car starts rolling is the moment you most want to give up. You're like, oh God, I'm exhausted. And it's at that moment that it gets easier and easier and easier. And you just need to keep pushing and the car will roll faster and faster. And like, it's, re- it's exactly that. It's that, that's his quote, right? It's like, do the hard stuff and then don't quit 
and then it will get easier. And then you will you will reap those rewards down yeah. the line. But that's the thing. It's the it's the suffer now for the long term gain. You know, it's mm. not always really bad. What's the art? It's um it's always darkest before the dawn or whatever. You know, it gets yeah. really bad because the good bit will come as a result of that hard work. Mm. Agreed. Okay, what's one thing that you do to look after your well being? Um, good question. Staying active. I, I, this is an obvious answer, but you it, you can literally feel the endor- like endorphins are li- you can actually feel it you know when you if you manage to get a session in in the morning you feel great for the rest of the day um i'm not that good at it i'm not going to sit here and pretend i do it three times a week but i know that that does help me yeah i think that's something that's been harder working from home not on the way into the office deciding to stop in at the gym or a class or whatever it's a bit harder yeah 100 and, and you know i think we all went through a phase of getting really excited about home workouts mm. and much like zoom events we got bored of them and yeah. so we're just in a phase now of like okay well where's my gym is it by the office is it by home mm. i get there actually i'm working long hours so it's just trying to find a new rhythm of, of getting yeah, definitely but good advice one day that you'll never forget is wow these are so hard by the way trying to come okay, up sorry um you could have sent these through before i did <laughs> sorry <laughs> uh, can we edit that out <laughs> um yeah sorry i mean i've done loads of preps one yeah. day that i will never forget i tell you what I, you know there's obviously ones in my personal life and that sort of thing but i i um managed to get a first from a very good university and mm. that day was amazing in so many ways because I'd, I'd suffered really badly from dyslexia when I was growing up and when I was at sort of up to call it 14, 15, I was the lowest of the bottom set and I could hardly spell my name and wow. it just took me some time to work out how my brain worked mm-hmm. and once I worked that out, I managed to get very good A-levels and I managed to get this first class degree and if you'd have told me as a 14 year old, you'll go to a you know nice university and get a first class degree. I would have just laughed at you. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't just the achievement of getting it, it was what it symbolized and how, what it had taken to get there. You know, I worked out that my brain works by looking at sort of squares on, on boxes on um, pieces of paper using lots of different colors. Um, I was more photographic than I was anything else. So yeah. it just took me some time to work out how my brain worked. And so, yeah, that's why that day and that achievement, I think was a culmination of everything else the month before it. Well, firstly, congratulations. That's amazing. And secondly, I'm so glad that you've just made that point and raised it. Cause I think um, something that a lot of people don't understand is that a lot of you know, learning difficulties or disorders, whatever you want to call them, are actually just people not understanding that everybody's brains work in really different ways. And, you know, the simplest example of this would be, so I figured out that I'm a very kinetic learner, which means that I have to do something. I have to write something out physically by hand or like do something in order to learn. And with people's names, unless I write them down, I won't remember them. And it's not that I'm like a visual person. I don't need to see it. I really need to write it down. So I need to, I wrote things and you, I, I've still got some somewhere. I'll show you one day. My revision notes, I would write over the word a hundred times. So rather than writing new notes, I'd go over and, and I'd write. So you could see the ink like coming off the page and it was, like, you know, bumpy pages because I would write over it and over it and over it and over it. I could see it. Um, That's amazing. That's really amazing. Yeah. I just think it's really important to make that point that, you know, don't let these things hold you back because there's, there's always a way around it. Once you figure out what's going on internally, it's just, everybody's different. And on a sort of more down a a legal route as well. I, and I've seen a few people say this or mention it on the sort of legal Instagram. So it's worth shouting about. Um, When I went to my interview and there were all the challenging questions they set you afterwards and they give you a piece of legislation you have to quickly write all you know all the mm. exercises um I was so torn as to whether to tell them about the necessity because I'd, I'd always had extra time in exams um and I I finally uh, no actually I, I didn't in the first one I didn't tell them and then I didn't finish it and I spent the rest of the day just feeling absolutely awful and, and I did I felt so bad afterwards because I hadn't finished it. I was like, that's it. It's game over. I'll never get this job. I emailed them and I said, look, I'm an idiot. I should have told you this before. These are my issues. Extra time. And they said, 
thank you so much for getting in touch. A, we, we love what you've done and we'll definitely bear that in mind when we're reviewing it. And mm. that was the only contract I got. So amazing. Definitely, definitely, definitely be open. People, people understand these yeah. things now. Um, they really do. So, so definitely be open about that. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Ollie. And finally, the last question, which a nice one. One thing that you're most grateful for right now is. Wow. That's a really lovely question to end on. Um, I am grateful for, this is going to sound quite cheesy and corny, I am grateful for being able to see my family again. And I know a lot of people have been through this, but over the last few weeks, um, I've seen lots of them. I've stayed at the house again. Uh, they're double vaxxed. It's amazing. And, and it feels like it never went away. And you have to mm. kind of remind yourself. It, it doesn't just have to be family. It can be friends. It can be you know any group. Like to be able to have some sense of normality and see your, the people around you that you love and give you that support network is so amazing. And we all deserve pats on the back for having gone without that for so long. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so being able to hug people and stuff like that again is is we should really savor those moments because it is amazing having gone for a year or so without it. Oh, that's so nice. I yeah, I totally resonate with that. I'm actually flying to Spain on Sunday, so this is I'm allowed to say this now because by the time my mum listens to it, it will be passed. But I'm surprising <laughs> my mum; she doesn't know I'm going. She doesn't Maybe. know I'm double vaxxed. She doesn't know I'm flying out. I can't wait. I love so it. Good. I'll love let it. you know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, you have to video the moment. I know I'm going to. Yeah. <laughs> can't wait listen thank you so much for taking the time to to record this with me just before we finish up if anyone wants to find out more about all of the things you're doing and find find more about you how can they do that um so the young lawyers and the young professionals are very much all over social media so linkedin they both got websites just london young lawyers group or london young professionals network they've both got instagram handles which are just london young lawyers or london young professionals um really do go and follow get in touch with them or me if you have any other questions i'm more than happy to help about anything we've discussed today or anything more career wise um generally amazing thanks so much ali perfect listen and honestly thank you so much for having me this was really good fun so thank you you're so welcome We made it. If you stayed to this point, thank you. And I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. And I'm always super grateful for your support. You can stay tuned with all of the Law Life Balance updates at www.law-lifebalance.co.uk, including the show notes and links to all of my wonderful guests. And if you particularly like today's guest, do follow them through their channels and reach out if you want more information. I'll see you back here soon for the next episode of the Law Life Balance podcast.